25 years ago now, my husband visited, my husband and I visited a small village in the south of France where some friends of ours had a little apartment. Just outside this little village of Uzes was a Roman aqueduct that was built around the time of Jesus to transport water to communities some 31 miles away. We climbed not just over the Pont de Garde, the bridge portion of this aqueduct, but we were able to walk down inside the sections where the water was transported, and we were able to look and marvel at how this water flowed across the bridge at a one-inch grade. It was just astounding to think of it being built at the time of Jesus, this beautiful aqueduct, this beautiful pont de garde across the river, and we just marveled that this kind of architecture and this kind of engineering was taking place at the time of Jesus. And so when I read this passage from Revelation 3 where a Christian community is accused of being neither hot nor cold, I thought about that Roman aqueduct. Because we know that in the community of Laodicea where this letter is being sent, this little community in modern-day Turkey that this is a community without its own source of water. And so water would have come in aqueducts like that from the nearby communities. Now, Laodicea was a thriving commercial center, a wealthy community of bankers. It had a medical school. Craftsmen crafted unique crafts there, and two main trade routes converged there, but still they had no source of fresh drinking water. And so a few miles down the road, you could find another community that had a hot spring, and a few miles in the other direction, a community that had a cold spring. And so when the water was transported across the miles to get to this wonderful community of Laodicea, it arrived lukewarm. And so when they called the Christians there in that little church, lukewarm. It conjured up the taste of that lukewarm water, water which sometimes tasted so bad that they spit it out. That lukewarm water is the image borrowed by the person who writes this letter to them. And so the author of Revelation accuses the Christian people in this early Christian community of having a faith that is lukewarm. They don't think they really need God. The people in that first century church of Laodicea say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Or as you and I would say today to one another, I'm good, I'm good, got it, all taken care of, thank you. Most of us know this feeling of lukewarmness in our own faith. Globally, we know that the church across Europe and the church in the United States where folks live in relatively affluent conditions is a church that is waning. While the churches in the poverty-stricken nations throughout Africa and Latin America and parts of Asia are absolutely on fire and growing. And we know that on a more personal level, we sometimes wish that our own personal spirituality could be revived. Last week, my husband and I went out on Saturday morning for coffee, and we ran into some 
friends of ours that we hadn't seen in a long time and they had recently retired and they had kind of that nice tan glow and I thought well they must have just gotten back from a cruise and she explained no that she had just gotten back from the Texas Mexico border where she was volunteering with other Christians to carry wagons of food and supplies across the border where families are suffering in dire need. And when we got in the car to drive away from the coffee shop, we looked at each other and thought, well, what kind of Christians are we? Here she is doing that kind of amazing work. And I have another friend here in Kansas City who is working with her neighbors to try to teach all of her neighbors how to take better care of God's good earth. She is teaching them and inviting them in to share with her plant-based meals instead of encouraging one another to eat more animal protein, to find out ways that we can eat together and enjoy one another's company and enjoy good, healthy food that does not destroy the environment. Today's scripture lesson challenges us not to be lukewarm Christians, but to be effective Christians. Now, most of us can look back in our own personal history or in uh, some communal experience that we've had, and we can remember a time that we felt absolutely on fire for the gospel. In the previous chapter in the book of Revelation, in chapter 2, in a letter to another church, and all the letters are really meant for all the churches, we read, But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember then from what you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. You see, we are called to remember what initially energized us to follow in the Christian way. What was our first love of God like and how did we act out on that love that we had for God when we initially experienced a spiritual energy? How do we capture that spiritual vitality in our lives today? And you know, really, that's what the season of Lent is all about. A season, just six weeks that we set aside on the calendar to examine the effectiveness of our own faith and to try to regain some of that spiritual vitality to move beyond our lukewarmness as Christians. Now, we try a variety of methods to do this. Some of us try to fast, to fast from social media or fast from television or Netflix or to fast from chocolate or coffee or alcohol. Some of us try to take something on to enter into Bible study or prayer or mission work. And some of us engage in some physical practice like yoga or running to try to recapture that spiritual vitality. But what does this letter to the early Christians advise to the people of Laodicea whose faith has grown lukewarm? Listen, I am standing at the door, knocking. If you hear my voice, open the door and I will come in and eat with you and you with me. Hmm, is that all there is to it? Listen? and open the door? Really? Listen and open the door. Well, I guess opening some doors is life-changing. I think of the door on the cathedral 
in Durham, England. Durham is one of those communities that looks like Harry Potter could have lived there. The Durham Cathedral is in the middle of the college campus there. It looks like a mighty fortress, but it's actually the cathedral built in 1093. It's a massive structure, and the front door of the church is this massive door with this huge door knocker that looks like the face of a lion on it. And in the Middle Ages, in 1093, when the church was completed, this knocker was placed on the door, and it remained there with this custom for some 500 years, extending into the 1600s. Anybody who was in serious trouble, anybody who was in danger of being imprisoned or being sent out of the country could come and knock on this door and there was a monk who kept his eyes on that door 24 hours a day seven days a week and if someone knocked on that knocker inside a bell would be rung and the monks would begin to scurry and they would come and open the door and let this person who was in serious trouble come in and they would place a black robe on this person, a robe that had a cross on it so that everyone inside the cathedral would know that this was a person who was in trouble and they would feed and clothe and provide a bed for this person. And the person was allowed to stay for 37 days, about the period of Lent, to think about his or her next steps in life. And upon departure, this person could decide, I will turn myself into the authorities, or I will go and reconcile with my enemy, or I will ask the monks to scurry me and take me to safety, providing safe passage. I guess there are all kinds of doors that we can go through that do change us. We go through the doorway of a brand new dorm room as a freshman on move-in day. We walk through the door of the church to get married. We walk out the door of a job we hate, letting the door slam behind us. We walk into a musty church basement and find room 103 and open the door to AA. We move into a brand new home in a new city and we open the door and we begin a new life. But in Laodicea, some folks did not knock on the door before they entered in. Because you see, Laodicea was a Roman-occupied territory, and Rome not only built those fancy aqueducts, but they also taxed the people unfairly. And because of Laodicea's strategic location, Roman soldiers would show up at your door and they would not knock. They would just barge into your home and they would demand to be fed and they would move into your home and you would have to house them for who knows how long. And according to the biblical scholar Colin Hemer, the people of Laodicea were familiar with forced hospitality. They knew what it was like for someone to come in without knocking. And so when Jesus says, I stand at the door knocking. The people know this is a different kind of voice. Jesus offered them not extortion, but friendship. The author of Revelation, no doubt, knew a line and knew that the people knew a line that came from the ancient Hebrew scriptures, 
a, a line from the poetry of Song of Solomon that characterized the relationship between God's and God, God and God's people as if that relationship was a relationship between lovers. It reads like this, I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. What could possibly move us from lukewarm to hot or cold other than knowing that God is a force of love seeking entrance into our lives? A journalist named Jerry Mitchell walked out of the doorway of the movie Mississippi Burning, a movie that was about the civil rights era, and he had forgotten or not ever known about the injustices of that period. And so as a journalist, he decided he would investigate some of these unsolved murders from the civil rights era. He knew that there were Klansmen still living in their communities who had never been tried for the murders that they had caused. Murders that they had committed simply because another person had a different skin tone. And so he told his wife that he had this plan to go and find some of these former Klansmen from the 60s and he was going to interview them and find out more about what really happened. He just couldn't believe people had gotten away with murder. And on a recent episode of The Moth, Jerry said that when he decided to do this, his wife said, oh, please, please don't go and do that. I am eight months pregnant. I don't want to raise our children alone. Please do not go down this path. And he told his wife, I have to. Something you see, something was knocking on the door of his heart, and he had to go. And he did investigate some of these cases. And after one murder case was solved and a man was imprisoned, his wife begged him to not interview any more of these folks, to not stir up any more of these stories from the past. And he said, I, I, I tried to do what my wife asked me, but my heart wouldn't let me. And so he continued to investigate these unsolved murders, even as his own life and the life of his family was often threatened. One of the self-described white supremacists said to him, God will punish you if you write negative stuff about Caucasians. 21 convictions happened, and many other cases were under investigation. And Jerry's wife finally told him that she would support him in his continued investigative work. And then Jerry located a former Klansman named Billy who was living under an alias and hiding from his past conviction. And Billy went to prison. And then Billy testified in a murder case against another Klansman who had been involved in an arson and a murder. And after the trial was over, Billy was standing in the back of the courtroom. And he ran right into the widow of the black man who had been murdered. She was standing there with her children, her adult children, and Billy, the foreman clansman, looked her right in the eye, and he apologized. Apologized for all that he had done, all the harm that he had caused. And he asked the widow for forgiveness, and she forgave him, and she began to cry, and her children began to cry. 
and Billy began to cry and the reporter began to cry because love knocks. Love knocks and waits for us to hear. We are lukewarm Christians, but God seeks us out, nudges us along. God waits. God waits until we are ready to open the door.